Well, I invite you to turn in your worship guide to where Psalm 1 is listed there, or if you have your Bible uh, or your Bible app, open it to Psalm 1. We spent about six months following the life of Abraham uh, in a long sermon series, and we completed that journey with Abraham, and now... Um, let's see here. Next month, starting in February, we're going to start a new journey looking at what the Bible teaches about the mission of the church and the mission of the Christian life. And that's going to take us all the way to Easter. And we have this gap in between during the month of January. One of the things I like to do uh, as a church, you know, I'm still new here. One of the things I'd like to do during my time here is I'd love for us to go through all 150 psalms during our sermon time. Now, that would make a very long sermon series. And so instead of trying to do it all at once, we're going to do it in pieces. Every time we finish a sermon series, and we're going to start one a little later, but there's a gap, we're going to fill it with psalms. Anytime we have a one-off message, not every time, but many of the times we do have a one-off message, we're going to go to the Psalms. And my hope is that uh, over time, we'll hit all 150. And then once we're through, we'll start it over again. Uh, so that's what we're doing today. We have a month in the Psalms, January in the Psalms. We're going to hit, uh, Lord willing, one through five. So today we start with Psalm 1. Um, I'll read it. And then we'll pray together, and then we'll get started. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. I pray that during this time you would illuminate your word in our hearts and minds. I pray that you would help us to see Jesus in all of his glory, calling us to you. And I pray that you would give us the ability to respond in repentance and faith. All of this we offer as worship before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, to kick off our long intermittent series on the Psalms, I just want to say a few things about Psalms in general so we know what we're dealing with. First, the Psalms are Scripture. You might say, Charlie, that's kind of obvious. But it's important for us to remember. It says in Second uh, Timothy, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed. It means it's inspired by God, and it's useful. It has 
uh, it's not arbitrary. It's useful for teaching and for rebuking and for training in righteousness so that the person following after God could be equipped for every good work. So the Psalms, as we study them, sometimes we forget because they're so beautiful that these are tools that God is giving us to grow in our faith. And this is, these are words that God actually speaks to us, to draw us to himself. So, and because they're scripture, ultimately, even though Jesus is not explicitly mentioned in any of these in an explicit way, all of them are ultimately about him. Jesus made the staggering claim in Luke 24 that all the scriptures pointed to him. And so we need to remember when we read the Psalms, we're reading uh, scripture that points us to Christ. So that's the first thing we need to remember. Second thing we need to remember when we study the Psalms is that the Psalms are poetry. Now, poetry is different than prose. Uh, poetry, it should be read in a certain way. When we read, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Dead Poet Society, but it's a wonderful movie about this literature teacher teaching at, a, at an all-boys school, and he's going to teach them about poetry, and he tells them to open up, somebody to open up a textbook and read the little paragraph about what poetry is, and it's this po paragraph that's this very scientific literary criticism formula of how to measure the value of a poem. And I, I, I've seen the movie several times. I don't understand what he's talking about. And uh, it's this very clean-cut way of analyzing poetry. And he has the class read it. And then famously in the film, Robin Williams is the teacher. He says, okay, now, here's what I want you to do. Rip the page out of the book. And it's this great scene of these students at this prep school. You know, are we allowed to do that? Ripping this page out of the book. And he shows them that poetry isn't really something that we can mathematically analyze. Poetry we read with our heads but we also read with our hearts. Poetry is supposed to engage our intellect, but also engage our affections. We read poetry with our emotions turned on. And these 150 poems inspired by the Holy Spirit, useful as scripture God has given to us, not just to read with our minds, but to read with our feelings. So when we go through Psalm 1, there are things that we need to stop and feel together. Now, our tradition is not known for being emotionally expressive in worship, but I want to tell you a secret. It's okay. <laughs> uh, the Holy Spirit moves in the text, and he engages our affections and our feelings. And there might be times as we study the Psalms where you need to say, maybe even out loud, yes, or you might need to go, oof, because it's supposed to engage us in that way. So that's uh, the second thing, the last thing. So the scripture, the poetry, the last thing, they are praise. They are language for worship. The Hebrew word uh, for the book of Psalms, these 150 that uh, here we find in this book, the Hebrew word is tehillim. So in the Hebrew Bible, instead of the book of Psalms, it's the book of tehillim. And tehillim means praise. Uh, God has given us these to give, to put vocabulary, to give words to the worship that we ascribe to the Lord. Now, 
uh, in Colossians and also Ephesians, we're commanded to sing psalms. Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19 says, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Gratefulness in your hearts to the Lord. And so we're, these are designed for us to sing. So one of the things we're going to do during this, when we do psalms, is we're also going to sing them. So here after the sermon, we're going to sing uh, an adaptation of Psalm 1. At least 55, 55 of these, um, not Psalm 1, but many psalms as you go through the book have little uh, titles. Um, and some of them, at least 55 of them, start with uh, a musical instruction that says, to the choir master. And these little titles, as we go through the book, they're reminders to us that many of these were specifically designed to sing uh, in, in a worship service. And all of these were free to sing in worship. And God even commands us to sing them. And that's awesome. And what that tells us as we study this is all of those things together, scripture, poetry, and praise, is that we need to approach these a little bit differently than we would approach, say, Abraham's story in Genesis, or we would approach a New Testament epistle. So these principles are going to guide us as we move through the Psalms. So what I want to do is I want to take some time and I want to show you the message of Psalm 1, and I want to show it to you as we engage this scripture as a prayerful poem. So, toward that end, Psalm 1. You know, poetry uh, doesn't always present its argument in a linear way, like prose. Sometimes poetry presents the argument um, sometimes it's maybe easier to catch it if you read from the bottom to the top, or if you start in the middle and work your way out, or if you read it in pieces, or read it traditionally, top to bottom. Psalm 1 is a psalm that its message becomes particularly clear when we read it backwards. We read it from the end to the beginning. So what I want to do is I want to go through this verse by verse from the end to the beginning, and I want to show you its meaning. So we'll start with the end. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The big idea of this poem, this inspired poem, this psalm, is very, very simple. It's this. There are only two ways to live. The righteous way or the wicked way. There's only two paths in the journey of life. The righteous path and the wicked path. There are only two kinds of people. Those who are following the righteous way and those who are following the wicked way. That's the big idea. That's the singular, simplified message of Psalm 1. And these paths are not uh, equivalent in their value. The righteous path is known by God. Uh, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when we read that the Lord knows something or knows someone, that's an intimate knowledge. The righteous path is known intimately by God. He affirms the righteous path. It's his path. It's the Lord's path. But the way of the wicked, the wicked path, will perish. It's not just a dead-end road. It's, in the words of one of my favorite songwriters, a highway to hell. <laughs> the way of the wicked will perish. 
Now, this idea that there's only two paths to life, and that one is beautifully affirmed by God himself, and that one leads to perishing, total darkness and destruction. This is an idea that we, many of us, and I think all of us, at some point, find terribly offensive. We live in a pluralistic society. We, that's no secret. Where we culturally show, seek to show respect for anyone's path. And there's good to that. We, everyone is made in God's image. Every single person should be treated with respect and with value. Every single person we should approach as listeners first. However, in God's economy, there's only two paths, no matter what our culture says. And that's hard. That's hard for us. We think about our own lives, and we think about the lives of our loved ones, and the idea that there's only two ways, not just to flourishing, but there's only two ways, and one leads to life with God, and one leads to total destruction. That is hard to swallow, and that's uncomfortable. But here in the psalm, we find that truth stated without hesitation. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This tells us that the way of the wicked is separate from the righteous way. There's not an intermingling here. The wicked, they don't mix in the congregation of the righteous. And they don't stand in the judgment. They don't pass the test. And again, this is uncomfortable. All of us have an inner sense of right and wrong that we're born with and that grows and develops and is shaped throughout our life. And it's become a caricature of maybe even what we could call fundamentalist, unloving Christianity. That preachers would get up and lead with, hey guys, there's only two ways, the way to God or the way to destruction. So choose which road you're on. <laughs> we read these passages and maybe some of us are thinking, Charlie, where are you going with this? It's uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. The wicked don't stand in the judgment. If there's anything to affirm there, it's not enough to pass the test of God's righteous judgment. We go on and we learn more about these two paths in verse 3 and 4. The per person on the righteous path is like a tree planted by streams of water, and it yields fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Here we have two contrasting botanical images. Botanical is a fancy word, kids, that means has to do with plants. So here we have two images that have to do with plants, and they tell us what the person on the righteous path or the person on the wicked path are like. Now this is helpful, because sitting under this God-inspired, uncomfortable claim that there's only two ways to live. I want to know which path I'm on. I want to know what kind of person I am because I want to figure out which road I'm on. Well, we have these two images to help us understand. The first is the person on the righteous path. 
They're like a tree. They're big and strong and beautiful. They're planted, which means their life has been, has been cultivated by God's own purposeful intention, like a gardener would plant a tree. They're like tree planted by streams of water. Their life is meaningful. It has sustaining, staying power. It yields fruit in season. It's useful. It's for the good of others. Its leaf does not wither. It's strong, even against the changing of seasons. And in all that the person who's on the righteous path, and in everything that that person does, he prospers. That's the righteous path person. But the wicked, the wicked path person, it's not like a tree at all. In fact, it's the exact opposite of a tree. It's chaff that the wind drives away. Now, do you know what chaff is? Back in the old days, uh, when they would harvest wheat or corn or grain, the way that it worked out, and by the way, here in, in Bible times, and people who first received this, they would, have, they would have known this because this would have been all around. The way that wheat or corn or grain was harvested was, went something like this. They would go and they would harvest all the kernels, and then they would put it all together and put it on top of a big blanket or sheet or something like that. And there in a big pile, you would have all the seeds and it'd be mixed in with leaves and with dirt and with husks and all that stuff all together in a big pile. And then they would get around on a place called a threshing floor and they would like winnow it out, you know, and, uh, and then they would get around the sheet and they would, they would, okay guys, one, two, three, and they'd shoot it up in the air. And all that stuff would go in the air. And the seeds, because they're heavy, the actual kernels of grain or corn or wheat would fall back down. And all the dirt and leaves and, you know, husk and all that stuff would just blow away with the wind. And that stuff that blew away with the wind is called chaff. Now, chaff is useless. It's, there's no use for chaff. That's why we let it blow away. It's, if anything, it's just one more step to get to the seed. Chaff is also quite annoying. If you happen to be down the field from where people are threshing out grain and the, here comes the chaff blowing in the wind, and it, then it would get all over you. It gets in your t-shirt. It's worse than going to get your hair cut and not getting to take a shower afterwards. It like gets all on you, gets in your beard. It's annoying. Chaff is not a good thing. So righteous path people are like trees. They're strong. They're cared for. They have staying power. They're for the good of others bearing fruit. But people on the wicked path are like chaff. They're not strong. In fact, they blow away with every little wisp of wind. They don't have staying power. It's here and it's gone. And it's not for the good of others. In fact, it's quite a nuisance. And here, working our way through the poem backwards, we have one more step into uncomfortable, don't we? Which one do you want to be? Well, of course, I want to be a tree. Well, are you? Are you sure? 
You're going to be like one or the other, a tree or like chaff. And this is supposed to, this strong imagery is supposed to engage our feelings. We're supposed to read this thing about trees and streams of water. We're supposed to think, oh, it's beautiful and strong. I want to be like that. And then we get to this, the wicked are not so. They're like chaff. We're supposed to go, ugh. But again, in our culture, this is confrontational. This is kind of a harsh message. Psalm 1 is not an inspirational coffee mug psalm. It's a hard word. And psalms are often offensive. In fact, the word of the Lord is often offensive because he is often offensive to us. And maybe if you read this, and maybe if you're like me, there's a time, whether you do it out loud or whether it only happens in the quietness and privacy of your heart, where you would read this and go, this is, this is so narrow. This is backwoods. This is, maybe they thought this then, but we don't think this now. Golly. There's not just two ways to live. There's lots of ways. Everybody's got a little good in them and a little bad in them. And, and some people do, some people are bad, but certainly not me. <sighs> we might scoff at this message. Well, okay, the next thing. Righteous path and wicked path, we've really hammered that reality. You know, you know what this psalm says. Okay, the next thing. The difference between if you're knowing who's on which path. If you're like me at this point, you're thinking, whoa, which path am I on? I need to know. Well, the difference between knowing which path each person is on depends on the voice that each person chooses to follow. Now let's go to verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel, that's a spoken word thing, in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It's another voice thing. And by the way, you see that downward progression? We're walking, now we're standing, and now we're taking a seat. See that? So blessed is the man who doesn't do that, who doesn't follow the voice of the wicked or the sinner or listen to the scoffing, but instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The difference between the two paths comes down to which voice the person is following. Now, there's some stuff in here. There's some good poetic imagery and stuff here that I want to point out. And it comes down to the vocabulary. Here's the first thing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Wicked, sinners, scoffers. Now those first two words, wicked and sinners, are synonyms. They basically mean the same thing. A sinner is someone who uh, either transgresses God's law willingly or who even unwillingly does not walk in it, fails to keep it. And a wicked person is someone who has engaged in and been affected by sin. But that word scoffer has a little bit of dif a different twist to it. A scoffer is not just a wicked person or a sinner. A scoffer is a wicked person or a sinner who speaks their inner opposition to God's law out loud at others. 
Scoffer is the person who says, Tah! followed by some kind of expression of their own hostility toward God. Now, there's kind of a hook in this psalm. This is brilliant poetic genius. As we read this psalm, and we ourselves become uncomfortable with its hammer of a message, that there's only two ways to live, two kinds of people. And we respond to that discomfort either out loud and in our hearts, and we find ourselves going, I don't think so. That's scoffing. So by the design of the poet, when we read this, we either agree with it or we disagree with it. And if we agree with it, we could say, fine, I know, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against God. I know I'm on the wicked path. But even if we disagree with it and go, God, that is narrow. I don't like it. Ugh, we're hooked. Because we become one of those following after the voice of scoffing, even to the point of scoffing ourselves. You can't read this psalm and not be taken in by it. Even if you deny it, it stands to condemn you. You see that? Okay, another vocabulary thing. We're talking about the blessed man as the man who doesn't follow that scoffing, wicked, sinning voice. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That word law, in the Hebrew, it's Torah. Maybe you've heard that before. That's what we call the first five books of the Bible. The Torah starts with creation in Genesis 1 and goes all the way through the life of Abraham, all the way through the people of Israel going down to Egypt and Moses coming and God delivering the people and taking them into the desert and giving them his law and his instruction and teaching them how to live before they go into the promised land. That's the Torah. However, Torah has a broader meaning than just the name of those first five books of the Bible. In the Hebrew, Torah means instruction, instruction on how to live that comes from God. It means law, God's law, but it also means direction. It's the direction that God is in. That's Torah. So following Torah is not just keeping God's laws. It's moving towards him. You see how the poet is weaving in this idea of being on a path, of being on a road? Says that the blessed man, he doesn't walk according to the guiding voices of the sinners and scoffers, but he delights in hearing the Torah, the instruction, and following the direction of the Lord. And on Torah, he meditates day and night. So there's only two ways to live. It's a harsh reality, but it's the message of this psalm, which comes from God. And the difference between the two paths, how you know which path you're on is which voice you're following. Because you're either following a scoffing voice, maybe even doing that yourself, or you're following in God's direction, keeping his law, delighting in it, meditating on it. Now, at this point, we all begin to think, oh, 
I sure hope I figure out how to be on the righteous path because any of us, I believe, with any sort of honest self-awareness before the Lord know that if we're, if we, maybe we're not aware that we are, ourselves have also been scoffers, but we're sure following the scoffing voice. Two paths. One is directed by the voice of the crowd, the voice that rises up against the Lord, and another is directed and delighting in God's voice spoken into that confusion, his revelation. Now, which one are you on? Well, the book of Psalms, the 150, the anthology here that we have of these 150 poems that are scripture used for praise. Uh, Psalm 1, I should have said this at the beginning, is sort of like an introduction to the whole book. It, it, uh, it gives sort of an overview of the entire message of the whole collection, and that's one reason why it's so important. But if we take the book as a whole, there are a few unifying themes that we find in every single psalm. And this idea of a uh, binary existence, God's way or a wicked way, we find throughout the whole book, it, every single psalm touches on it. Now, one cool thing about the book of Psalms, and if you ever find yourself at a Bible trivia night, this might come in handy, is there is one psalm in the 150 that appears twice. It's Psalm 14, and it's the same as Psalm 53. Now, some people look and they say, oh, that's obviously an editing error from whoever put this together. I don't think so. It's because the message of Psalm 14 and of Psalm 53 are so important that it need to be stated twice. So as we look at Psalm 1, an overview of the theme of the entire Psalter, the message of this twice, or yeah, once repeated, two times it happens, Psalm also needs to be in our minds. So we ask ourselves, which road am I on? Righteous or wicked? And I believe the Holy Spirit directs us in the direction of Psalm 14, Psalm 53, which says this. The Lord looks down from heaven over all mankind to see if there's anyone who understands, anyone who seeks God, but all have turned away and all have become corrupt. And there's no one who does good, not even one. Okay. I thought the Psalms were where we're supposed to go for quick inspiration. <laughs> I was hoping for green pastures and quiet waters. But, oh Lord, here in the introduction, in Psalm 1, we get two paths. Righteous, like a tree, beautiful, flourishing, life with God. Or, wicked, chaff, perishing, destruction. And there's no bridge in between them written here in the text. Have you caught that? It doesn't say, blessed is the person who realize they're on the wicked path, so they started meditating on God's law, and they did good enough to where their path changed. It doesn't say that. It says, blessed is the man who says no to the wicked path, 
and everyone else, Jeff. Okay, Charlie, uh, time to turn the sermon here. Uh, you've hammered us with the law. Where's the gospel in this? Well, if you're asking that question, I just, I, I'm so excited to tell you. It's on verse 1. Blessed is the man. In the Hebrew, the word for man that we find here is not Adam, which is sort of like the generic man, mankind, people, humanity. It's not that term. It's ish. The man, ha-ish. And ish means a single male person. The man. And when the Bible speaks about the man, there's only two people it could be speaking about. The first is the man, Adam. The first, the man. And Adam, if you know the story, God had invited him to live before him and to follow Torah into flourishing like a tree planted in a garden. But Adam chose to listen to the voice of a scoffer, the serpent, he and his wife together and rebel against God and turn on the wicked way, right? And ever since then, every single one of us has been born in his shadow. Our mothers gave birth to us on the road. It leads away from God. Psalm 51, it says, In sin my mother conceived me. Oh, what a harsh reality. So when this psalm starts and it says, Blessed is the man who does not listen to the counsel of the wicked, to the voice of scoffers. The psalmist here is saying, Blessed is the Adam who didn't do what the first Adam did. Now, when the psalmist wrote this, he was writing, looking forward. He had a shadow of a prophecy. He had a longing in his heart. He had a hope. There has to be someone who comes along who walks the righteous path because every single one of us is doomed because I know there are only two ways to live. So the psalmist wrote this looking forward. Whenever he comes, whoever he is, bless him. Oh, the language of praise we give to God's people. Everyone sing, blessed is the man because he's got to come. However, we today read this looking back and it's incredibly obvious who the man is. When the psalmist wrote these words and the congregation sang these words, God heard. And in the fullness of time, the man Jesus Christ was born to live a life delighting in God's Torah, to keep the law in the fullest sense so that he embodied it and fulfilled it. And he was strong and he was beautiful and significant and he bore fruit for the good of others. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And that man is like a tree 
Oh, yes, he was. And this is where we get a beautiful poetic shift. In ironic form, he was lifted up on a tree. In ironic form, when we see Jesus in the image of a tree, we see Jesus not planted by running water. But we see him choosing of his own will to fail to stand in the judgment. And we see him crushed and beaten and blown away like chaff. And we see him perish. So when we read this psalm, we see the wickedness in our hearts. We see the longing we have for a Redeemer in a hopeless road that has no path crossing over to the righteous one. And then we see the beautiful man, Jesus Christ, living in righteousness, but choosing to die the death of a scoffer, choosing to die on the road of wickedness so that his life would exist once and for all as a bridge between the two life paths. So that anyone who hears these words and says before the Lord, oh, that's me. I'm on the wicked path. In these words, God would speak to you to turn your eyes to Jesus, who lifted up on a cross bridges the gap so that you and me and anyone who looks to him by union with him in faith, by reaching out to him the best we know how, by throwing our affections, whether it be anger or love or doubt or questioning onto him, we could switch paths. And even though we don't deserve it, even though we're scoffers on the best day, God makes us like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in season, and our leaves don't wither. There's only two paths in life, the wicked way and the righteous way. One day, the disciple Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You know what Jesus said? I'm the way. Blessed is the man. Let's pray.